Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of UFC Nostalgia. Or this time around, I have Jorge Rivera, a 15-fight UFC veteran from the old school. Since you know, he started in 2003, had a multiple stints with the organization. Thank you, Jorge, for the time. How you doing today? Doing well, thank you for asking, man. How you doing? Good, good, man. Um, let's start it off right away. 2003, I mentioned that was your first time with the UFC you you know you started off with a 6-1 record and you signed with the promotion was that a big deal for you at the at that time because I've talked to other guys and they said that in in those years maybe it might not have been the biggest promotion in the world for me it was like I started watching it way back in 93 and I got caught up in the whole Gracie Jiu-Jitsu and that was the whole reason why I started training so when I got there, I was like, holy shit, man. It's something that I was watching on TV years ago. I'm here doing this shit right now. It was surreal. How did it all come together, though? You signing with the UFC. Was it something that was put together? Did the UFC reach out to you? Or was did you have management behind you that was pushing for you to get into the UFC? No, nah, we're talking about way back in the days, dude. It was nothing like it is now. Nothing like it is now at all. So, you know, you had small little shows here and there. Dana would show up and he would look at the talent and he would take people that he thought were, you know, that he would want in his bigger shows. He would call those kids up and he would bring them up. You know, and he was around because Dana's a Boston kid. I'm from the same area. So he, you know, came into a show in a city called Lowell, which is about 15 minutes away from from Boston. He came and he watched the fight. I fought Travis Luter that night. And it was, you know, we had a good night. You know, and he, from that night on, I think I fought maybe one more time, and then I fought in the big show. What was the conversation like with Dana White when you first met him and talked to him about signing with the promotion? I don't remember it. You know, to be honest with you, I don't remember any of those things. Like, I was probably starstruck and just happy to be there, you know, and, hey, let's take pictures, and this shit's cool. But I don't remember anything significant and nothing that stood out. Nothing like that. All right, well, you know, you made your debut against David Lazalle. I, You know, I feel like a lot of people forget David, man. He was a beast, you know what I mean? And you took him on in your in your debut. You know, take me back to that time, you know, entering the octagon for the first time. Did you have the jitters? Honestly, uh, out of all the times, other than maybe the last time I fought, that was the most relaxed I was going in. I didn't feel any pressure. Like I was telling you, I was just happy to be there. You know what I mean? I was, my, my people back at home were watching me on TV. You know, it, it is in 2020. We're talking about 2003. You know, it's a while ago. It was different. The whole social media, everything is like it is now. People were still, TV was still a big deal. Cable was still a big deal. It wasn't like the internet like it is now. You know what I'm saying to you? Like, cable was a big deal. Like, everybody was watching cable. You know, to be on it, I was, <laughs> it was awesome. What do you remember most about that fight in particular? You know, you went in there and got a unanimous decision win. Did you feel like, did you go in there with the mindset of being the underdog? No, honestly, uh, the thing I remember most about that fight is I knew I was getting elbow hard, and I knew it was affecting me because like, when the brain rattles inside the head, you could feel it. But I remember just looking up into the screen and seeing the cuts on my head and thinking to myself, damn, <laughs> that looks bad. <laughs> Now, coming out of that fight, you know, you took on Lee Murray, right? And 
Mm-hmm. And Lee Murray, you know, he's I feel like I think he's sitting in a prison somewhere in Europe for uh robbing those banks, right? And uh he's and, in Morocco, I'm not sure. Algeria. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh and when you fought him, right? Um heading into that fight, what was the mindset after you just beat David Lazal? Honestly, there was a lot of hype around Lee's punching power. I had like I was telling you, I was just happy to have been there before. And now I was gaining traction and attention from people that I had never th- thought about. I had, like, in my mind, I was very young and, and naive. You know what I mean? And then I remember just being anxious and nervous to fight him. I, I lost that fight before I walked in. You know what I mean? He could have just showed up. I was going to lose that fight. Describe that. That's something that really interests me about the, the mental aspect of fighting is a lot of guys said that, you know, that they mentally weren't there before the fight and then it affected them when they were going in. Go through that whole process of, of, of the Lee murder. I can only speak for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, there are different factors in life that'll distract you and take you away from what your, what your goal is and your behavior, whatever it is around you, the people you associate with, um, they will, or it will, it'll all, you know I mean? It'll all affect you psychologically when you step into the cage. You know, or so I think. That's my way of thinking. You know, when I was going to go fight him, I just remember there was a lot of hype around his punching power, and I didn't want to. I remember just thinking to myself, I don't want to get hit. I just want to take him down to the ground. And once I got him to the ground, I I just felt overconfident. Might be the word. Like I, I just felt I, I relaxed a little too much. You know what I mean? I paid. I paid for it. Yeah. Another aspect of you entering the UFC was that you fought at heavyweight. And light heavyweight before that you know before your debut and then you went and then you fought at middleweight did you did you was that something that you wanted to do when you entered the ufc is drop down to middleweight or was that something that your coaches told you to do or the ufc no not at all i just you know i had no discipline like i was telling you i, I just just watching the stuff started practicing and going to these martial arts school and learning and back in those days i really wasn't in great shape you know, so fighting at heavyweight, you're talking about a kid that's 210, 215, that's just out of shape. You mean as you get in better and better shape and you get healthier, the fat trims off, it's, it's easier to cut the weight, and that just becomes a natural progression. Now, after uh, Lazao and, and Murray, you know, you went back and competed regionally and then came back to the UFC at UFC 50 and took on Rich Franklin. Man, it's like the UFC wanted you to fight the best of the best at that time, right? <laughs> <laughs> or whatever, you know what I mean? And, then my, and like I was telling you, I was just happy to be there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So to be fighting these studs and doing well against them, I was just happy with my my mental, you know, uh, strength, my my physical strength, you know, and my technique was something that I was going to, because it wasn't at their power at that time. You know what I mean? It's something that I've been developing as, but I, I got a late start in it as well, whatever, but that's, this is where we're at. At that time, they got me to a point where my development was, wasn't as high as theirs. When you think about, you know, facing guys like David Lazao and even, you know, Rich Franklin, who, you know, went on to become the, the champion, were you? do you feel like you needed more time to develop on the regional scene? Do you feel like if you did that, you would have done much better against nah, some I, of the guys? In it's that, just in timing in life. It's just timing in life. You know, this came around when I was this old and... I got started at this time, and by the time I was this efficient, that's just timing in life. 
That's what it is. I'm just happy for other people that have, like for a lot of these young cats you're watching right now, they when they were born, this is already a sport to them. You know what I'm saying to you? This is already, they were introduced to it like no, like any other major sports, soccer, baseball, football, basketball, hockey, whatever it is. You know what I'm saying to you? It's like those are major sports. And now mixed martial arts is a major sport. So these kids, they're growing up in, in this. You know, they're five, six years old learning wrestling, jiu-jitsu, boxing, kickboxing. By the time they're 15, they're, they're experts. By the time they're 21, 22, they're efficient killers. If you compare, let's say, the early 2000s to now, you know what I mean? Do you feel like it was more of a, it's more of a sport now compared to then? Or was it always a sport to you? Nah, I, to me, a fight's a fight. But you can call it whatever you want. Some people want to call it a sport. Some people think of it as this, that. Each individual looks at it differently. Like, I don't, I don't have a problem fighting anybody for money. You know what I mean? We, we get paid whatever it is. And, yeah, I guess it's a sport. You know what I mean? But I don't have a problem fighting anyone for money. Now, with, with, the, with the Rich Franklin fight, right? Tell me what you remember most about that matchup and, and just heading <laughs> into it and, and during the fight. Um, I remember Rich was just a big dude. I remember he, he weighed in about a pound and a half over. And when he stepped into the cage, I remember looking at him and thinking, was, holy shit, he's fucking huge. And I remember when I grabbed him by the neck, I was trying to clinch with him. I mean, just how big and strong he felt. I was just like, for a middleweight, I thought I was a big middleweight. You know, I thought I was a big dude. This guy dwarfed me. You know what I mean? I was just like, holy shit, these are, these are big guys, man. There are some big guys in this division. Going, you know, talking about how big Rich Franklin was, like weight cutting, right? At that time, was it something that everybody was doing, you think? Or was it just something that um, some, some of the more had, advanced guys? So, yeah, some people had better coaches, people with more experience in this side. And, you know, guys who have been doing this for a while now, you know. So you look at the military camp as a perfect example. It's like Pat was a champion before this shit was ever popular. You know, and Pat is a stud. You know what I mean? He'll teach you anything from top to bottom when it comes to fighting, preparation, training the whole nine. You know, to have a guy like that who can help you, that's awesome. What about you? What was your approach to the whole weight cutting back then? <laughs> I didn't know much, dude. I was just like, fuck, I'm going to have to fucking eat less, drink less water, and sit in the sauna longer. And that was my mentality towards that. Was there some rough ones back then where you were, you know, on the edge of... There was a few, you know, like, honestly, a bunch of them. You know, they all suck. You go from 205 pounds to 185 in, in a week, and most of it is water weight. All that shit sucks. I don't like it. What, which fight do you feel like it affected you the most in your performance in the cage? Listen, Austin, I was exhausted. I, remember, I was just thinking to myself, I was in the first round, and I was exhausted. And I was just thinking to myself, holy shit, I spent, you know, whatever amount of weeks it was preparing for this fight, eating right, drinking fucking tons of water and staying healthy. And I'm fucking three or four minutes into this first round and I'm exhausted already. How did this happen? You know, that sucked. After that fight, like, how did you get yourself out of that? You know what I mean? Like, you know, because that could be mentally yeah. crushing for any fighter. Yeah, I got with these guys from Ranger Up, Nick Pomerciano and Tommy Amenta and uh, John Tackett and a bunch of guys, uh, Tim Kennedy, a bunch of guys from over there. And those guys over there, they were just, they were just awesome to me. You know what I mean? They taught me, you know, they 
not only taught me, but they provided me with a lot of uh, resources to to help that were beneficial towards me. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm most grateful for that. So, so basically, like you started to learn the science of all of the the weight cutting and nutrition. By and the everything. time the show is over. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, thanks for playing. Take it easy. <laughs> <laughs> now, with with the UFC, like you you fought like twice, and then you then you went back to the regional scene, then you fought again, and then you left again. I got to go returned. to I got to go to um I went to London during the in the in betweens. I got yeah. to fight for Cage Rage. They had me there for I don't know four or five shows, mm-hmm. and you know I really enjoyed David and Andy, and I thought the organization was good, and they treated us well. So, you know, I had a real good time fighting up in London. Was it was it mostly about money? Because, you know, nowadays you see UFC fighters, they, they go on these, like, three fight, four fight contracts. They're not allowed to leave. But you fought, like, twice and you left. You fought once and you left. No, it's not that. It's like, you you know, it all it all comes down to your your win-loss and how the fans, you know, react to it and stuff like that. But, you know, back in those days, if you look at the record, I was literally win-lose, 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 and that would get me in and out, in and out, in and out. That's how the game was. Was, was. Were you signing just like one fight contracts at that time? or was, I don't remember. I don't remember. You know what I mean? It wasn't that important. <laughs> <laughs> you just wanted to fight. Yeah, dude. Yeah, I'm going to get paid to do this. Cool. You know, but I don't remember it. When you compare fighting in cage rage compared to fighting in the UFC, what key difference did you feel or did you see in between these promotions? Just you know the organization of it all, the um, the the logistics, how they run it all, how smooth it is. Um, you know the UFC, like I haven't fought for Pride or anything else like that, but it was just a smooth, well-run show. You know what I mean? The people that they have in there, they can relate to the fight as well. Well, back in my time, they related to the fight as well. You know, it was a, it was a, it was cool. You know what I mean? It was a good camaraderie. I mean, it made everything nice and easy, and it was what it was. Now, after, you know, you did a stint at Cage Rage, you came back, UFC 55 against Dennis Hallman. Man, you faced some of the, 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 the OGs at in that era and beat them, you know, David Lazal, Dennis <laughs> Hallman. Because Dennis Hallman, he beat Matt Hughes twice, so he kind of had that, you know, that, that name recognition. When you beat him, did, was that kind of like a, a big accomplishment for yourself? Um all respect to Dennis, but it wasn't. You know what I mean? I felt like I, I was the bigger guy. I should have beat him. You know what I mean? And I, I feel like Dennis's um, conditioning was an issue. I don't know about his health or whatever it may be that causes that for him. But I knew, like, if I could avoid the first round, I'd be fine. So it wasn't, you know. So your expectations was was high when you went went into that fight. Then um, it, it wasn't. Like I was telling you, it was a win-loss, win-loss thing with the organization then. And a, 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 a defeat wouldn't have been good for me. And they were just on the cusp of of doing um, the release of the Ultimate Fighter 1. So the whole UFC thing was about to take off. And, you know, that would have sucked, you know what I mean, losing that fight and being on a shit end of the, uh, of the market taking off. Not that it would have helped me as a fighter, but just as name recognition, whatever it was that could have benefited you. Speaking of the Ultimate Fighter, in 2006, you were on the Ultimate Fighter Season 4, the comeback. Man, go through all of that, man. Was that uh, the craziest experience of your life, being in that house? 
<laughs> not the crazy experience, the craziest experience, but it was um, it was different, you know, realizing your being, your every move, your every conversation, your everything is being recorded and it's on television, and how they may, how that may be cut, spliced, how you may say things. They, oh, good God, it's just the whole human aspect of being on in front of a camera and what can be said and and the consequences of those. It, that just sucks. <laughs> do you do you watch uh, the Ultimate Fighter? Have you watched other seasons of the Ultimate Fighter? Because you know what it not, feels not like really. to be on that side. Not really. Like all those cats, half of them are there just for good television. Mm-hmm. Half of them are there because they're good fighters. You know, I watch them when they fight. You know, in the shows, and because they'll always give their you know, the commentary will always give their background and inform you who these guys are and blah blah blah. And that's cool. You know. I can get the whole thing in the, in the cliff notes. I just want to watch them fight. So, you know, when you, you just mentioned that some guys are just there to be on TV and, and man, I feel like that kind of sucks for the fighters that are there to, to win the whole show. It's, you know it, what I mean? It kinda, it's a show. It's yeah. a show. It's a show. If it were all fighters that were all drudged and just ready to fight, that'd be fucking boring. How are you going to sell it to the public? Mm-hmm. You can't. You're going to have guys that are going to stir the pot, talk shit, Live there fucking 15 minutes. Whatever it is that's going on. You know what I mean? They have the drama, the flair of the show, and that's what draws viewers to it. Otherwise, it's just the same old shit year after year, season after season. No one wants to watch. The tough four finale, you know, you, you KO'd Edwin DeWeese in the first round, right? Was that for... Or were you basically fighting for a contract with the UFC in that fight, or were you already signed to the UFC? I don't remember, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. There's no like, that was, I don't know, 15, 16 years ago now. Mm-hmm whatever it was, and I don't, back in those days, I was just fight the fight. You know, I win this fight, cool, I stay in. I win this fight, cool, I stay in. I build build momentum, cool, I get a little bit of slack, I might be able to lose one here and there, boom, I stay in. You win one, lose one, not so good. Now, after that fight, you know, you won that one, so you get another fight against Terry Martin. You suffered a broken jaw in that fight. Was that the worst injury of your career? Oh, by far, Terry, wherever you're at, man, you fucked me up. <laughs> you broke my jaw two in two places right here. I got, you know, two plates and four screws. You know, it was just horrible pain. Probably the worst pain I've been in my life. What were the effects of that 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 broken jaw? Did you feel it throughout the rest of your career, or was it all good nah, after everything healed? No, nah, after everything healed, I, I've, you know, I, I um, I took a year off. You know, I didn't do shit. I didn't let anybody touch my face or hit me for about a good seven or eight months. And even after that, I was so cautious of it. My first fight after that was Kendall Grove. I felt good. I had a good fight against Kendall. And after that, I just, I never thought about it again. Was there any periods during that time of, you know, recovering from a broken jaw where you were thinking like, maybe uh, I could, maybe I need to go, you know, live a regular life, not fight anymore. Or were you determined to come back? I was too young and stupid. You know, I was I was so into what I was doing, I was never going to give that up. Now I want to get into the best run that you had in the UFC. Mm-hmm. It was between 2009 and, and early 2010. You know what I mean? You, you beat a couple guys, three fights in a row. Take me through that streak, you know what I mean? Up to the, the, uh, the I feel like it was the Michael Bisping fight. It kind of led you all to that fight. It was, um... I had three fights in a row that I had won. They were all, one was a decision, 
the other two were stoppages. And competition was fairly good. You know what I mean? I was getting older. I was just, I knew, it, it was coming down towards, I was getting older. I, I knew that I was, this was going to be my final stretch. And what is, what can, what is the most, how can I maximize on this? There you go. How can I max? What's the most I can get out of this whole situation? That's what that was a combination to that whole Bisping thing. During that win streak, what was the combination that you had? What was the winning formula? Do you believe was it just having the experience? Did you have the? Do you feel like you had I the had, right coaches I at had, that time I, and everything? I had changed my camps. I'd gone to different camps, and just different energy, different people around you. They they bring different things. Sometimes if you stay in the same place. You, you may still love the people and they may still love you, but as far as creativeness, the, and it, it goes both ways, both in giving and receiving. Sometimes you're just, just not, you've closed those doors. You know what I mean? And I, I'm, I am, I'm culpable. I'm, I, you can blame me for those type of things. I am, you know what I mean? I've done those things. You know what I mean? I've had things that were given to me that at the time I just, I was just blatantly no, you know. What I mean, I had what I thought was good for me, and that. And the thing is, like, I'm you, you know, I'm like a horse with blinders on. I only have straight tunnel vision. I don't have good peripheral vision. I don't have the whole one, 360. I only have what's directly in front of me. And sometimes making those decisions aren't the best decisions for you. Were the, who was the people around you? Do you think that kind of guided you in the in the the proper direction to get get on that streak? It was just a combination of everyone. You know, my boxing coaches, you know, between Peter Welch, Matt Finney, um, you know, Tim Burrell. Tim Burrell played a huge part in my, my later development. Um, you know, Mark Delagrati was there. I had I had a bunch of guys, you know, that I don't want to forget anyone because these guys are all from, from back home in Massachusetts, and I love those guys. But all those guys, there's a bunch of those guys uh, within all these circles, within Providence, Worcester, Milford, Framingham, Boston, a lot of these places, the Florian brothers, you know, Keith and, and, and Kenny, you know, I, I love those guys. I trained a lot with those guys. I learned a lot from those guys. Um, Sean Matthews, um, uh, McDonald, McDonald, a bunch of these guys. They were all up in there. I trained with a lot of those guys. They were all good. They were all good to me. You know what I mean? They all helped me. Up to that point, you know, the, the streak you you said you know it was win loss win loss. Uh, was there any fight that kind of boosted the the confidence, or was the confidence always there? No, the confidence isn't always there. You know I mean there was a a major guy in my life, another guy, Doug Kalinda. He was a major contributor to a lot of the things that helped me just not only develop as a fighter but as a person. He was just a very giving person, very selfless, uh, very kind. You know. Uh, I miss Doug. Doug was a good dude. You know, um, yeah, man. <laughs> now going to uh, another guy that, you know, has been tied in with you is Alexio Sakara. You know, you're supposed to fight him three times, I believe, even, you know, most notably UFC 118, where he was pulled from the fight that day. What do you remember most about that day? Um, which one was that one? The one in Germany? I, I believe so. I remember like hearing rumors that he was sick, but Alexio was gonna fight anyways. You mean I guess the doctor came to see him and they saw how sick he was and they wouldn't let the fight go on. But the first time I I, I broke my arm, 
I forget what happened the second time. I think something happened with him in his knee. The third time he got sick, whatever. It just wasn't meant to be. So, whatever, man. I was cool with it. No problem. Did you speak with him? Like, when they when they pulled him from the fight? Yeah, man. He was just like, you know, I, I wish I could fight and this and that. And I was like, no problem, man. For me, it was... To me, that was, you know, that was probably the easiest payday of my life. <laughs> <laughs> so Not bad. Like, yeah, man. I was like, hey, no, no problem, man. It's cool. You know what I mean? You came. You couldn't do it. I got paid either way. No problem. You know what I mean? No problem. <laughs> yeah, that that eases the pain a little bit, right? There is no pain, actually, right? What happened? There is no pain, right? When you get paid and you don't have to fight. Can you hear that shit? Yeah, is it 4th of July? <laughs> Florida, dude. This shit never ends in Florida. All right. <laughs> oh, really? Hey, how... How is uh Florida right now? You know the the coronavirus has uh taken it's off. Horrible. It's horrible. But you know what? Like if you go outside right now, you're gonna see a bunch of people running up and down the street. Everyone is acting like a. Don't get me started on that shit, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. It's like this is just crazy, and this is you know this is a conversation I had with my my family, my parents, my my. My uh, my my close my my family, my wife, my kids. You know, I I sat down, I, I sat down with all of them, and I was just like, "Hey, uh, we're all catching this shit." <laughs> you know, what I mean? mm-hmm. it's like, look around you, look at how people are behaving around you. Every single person you see is just doing the wrong shit. Mm-hmm. You know, what I mean, even the ones that are doing the right things, they're gonna catch up because these all, the vast majority are idiots. You know, what I mean, it's mm-hmm. just like, and I just, this is nature; it's gonna run its course. Stay in good health, you know what I mean? Go freaking do your exercise, you have your vitamins, see all that good shit, because you're going to feel sick for a couple of weeks. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty crazy how it has affected everything, you know what I mean? And and even like even with the UFC having shows, fighters are getting testing positive for corona. And, and Mike Brown just, just tested positive. Yeah. You know, the great Mike Brown. Wherever you're at, Mike Brown, I fucking love you. Mike <laughs> Brown is one of the best to ever do it. You mean he has that shit right now? Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of guys in Florida that you know train out there. Gilbert Burns there. has the shit. Yeah. You mean Gilbert Burns could probably be the next world champion? Kids a savage. Yeah. You know what I mean? He has the shit. It's no joke. Yeah, he could have. He it might have taken away his only opportunity. Nah, that kid's a savage. That kid's gonna, you know, what I mean. No way. That kid's going to be there for a little while. Oh, yeah. He's going to be it's, around. I'm just saying, you know what I mean? Just sometimes, you know, how the UFC Dude, if he doesn't, nowadays. if he doesn't become champion his next fight, he'll be champion sooner or later. That kid's just that good. He's got a real complete game. He hits real hard. He has good takedowns. He has good jiu-jitsu. He has a lot of good submissions. That kid's just, he's really good. He's really good. I don't, you know, I see him being champion. No doubt, no doubt. Um, Now, let's go back to... uh. The the I think the biggest, uh, not the biggest, but like the most well known feud that you had was with Michael Bisping. You know what I mean? And probably the only really feud that you had. Uh, it was all the way in Australia too, and and the build up to that fight had the mo- had its moments. The videos were funny. You know, you really got under his skin, man. Like, you know, throughout that time, getting under his skin so well. Like, was that a, was that fun for you? Because it seemed like it was fun for you. Listen, all I, like I told you before, all I wanted to do was have big fights. I wanted to start making money. So I talked to Nick Palmasiano, who is 
the brains behind the videos. I was like, man, I want this fight. You know what I mean? They're telling me that he doesn't want to fight because it's going to not be a big enough draw and whatever, whatever. And I was like, can you help me make him want to fight me no matter what? They were like, yeah, no problem. We got it. You know what I mean? So they came up with the ideas and the thoughts. You know, I chimed in with one or two silly ideas of my own, but those guys, <laughs> those guys developed those ideas. I just ran with it. I thought the shit was funny. <laughs> The face-off, you know, it was like, I feel like that was like one of the most intense face-offs, you know, up to that point, you know what I mean, in the UFC. Usually the face-offs are pretty tame, but that one was pretty, you know, what do you remember about that, man? Like, just facing off with him for the um, first time after honestly, all those videos. It, was, it wasn't, there was a lot going on in my personal life that, that sucked going into that fight. Um, and I just had a lot of anger. You know what I mean? I was just like, fuck it. Here I am. I fucking been fucking talking so much shit about this fucking guy. You know what I mean? If I was, if I ever, you know what I mean? If he was somebody that I was so fearful of, I would have never done that shit. So in my mind, I was like, fuck him. You know what I mean? This is what it is. You know, I'll probably fucking, we would, this is what it is. We were never meant to be friends or whatever it is. This is just strictly business. You know, we're trying to make money off fucking beating the shit out of each other. If you can't take somebody talking shit to you and fucking making more money, for the fight, what I don't give a fuck, whatever. It was just to make money. You know what I mean, I didn't, I didn't care. And then when once you talk all that shit, it's it's do or die. Either you either you do it or you don't. You know, and on that one, I felt flat on my face. And that's what it well, is. Well, with with that fight, you know, you said you know you wanted the big fights. Michael Bisping is a big name, and you know you went in there. Were you always confident in in defeating him, or was the respect always there? Like you know, this guy is a beast. You know, like I'm gonna have my hands full. Or were you like, oh, I, 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 this is a guy I'm going to beat? No, I didn't think that I had my hands full or whatever. I was just like, it was just a fight. Mm -hmm. You mean, in my mind, we're going to go in there, we're, we're going to fight. You mean, one of us is going to lose, one of us is going to win. You know, I, don't, I never thought of him as a Hall of Famer, or a future champion, or any of those things. He was a guy that was in front of me that was trying to help me, catapult me to my dreams, and vice versa. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and, and because the fight had so much attention... You can say he can say whatever he wants, but that helped him for sure. That's no doubt, man. Now going into the actual fight, the first round, the the illegal knee. What are your thoughts now when you think back on that? I don't care. Mm. I don't care. Anybody watching it all, you know, what I mean, comes to I don't care, dude. Mm. It's it's water under the bridge. I don't care. So like even the 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 post fight actions by Bisping, like that stuff is like. It just happened. You don't even think about it. It's just, it is what it is. I didn't, I didn't know what was going on until after I got back in my locker room. I didn't know he had spat on my corner and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's probably best that I didn't know that in that fucking cage because that would have been another fucking scene. You know what I mean? But it's like, you know what I mean? Uh, we all have to answer for our actions. Me for mine, him for his. That's what it is. Did you did you talk to him backstage? Did you, Have you ever, you know, run into him since then, since that fight? No. So is the do you feel like he still has animosity towards you after everything? Because it seems like you you've. I hope not. Yeah, I, honestly, I, he's a he's a grown man. Mm -hmm. We share the same birthday, so we can't be that far off from each other. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like he's a grown man, dude. We all do we all do things when we're younger that we regret as we get older, and I'm not sure that he's regretting that. I'm not saying that at all, but mm -hmm. he's he's. He's a man who's grown and 
I don't know hard. I don't give you know that shit's. I don't give a fuck. It's ten years ago almost. One last thing about that is that you know Michael Bisping. He, he, I watched a lot of the interviews around that time. You know the View interview for the fight. You know hyping the fight and Michael Bisping also even before and after and and he said like you know he's not into the shit talking and 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 all that and but if you think about it now. He is into the shit talking, you know what I mean? Like he he shit talks a lot, you know what I mean? Like he goes at back. He just did it with Dad Henderson. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. This is the game, you know what I mean? And um, sometimes we are blind as human beings, not as fighters, but as human beings. Sometimes it's easy to look at somebody else and be like, "Oh, look at this motherfucker doing this and, that and the other," and we can't see it when we're doing it ourselves. You know what I mean? Because the ego defends you from that shit. Always remember that the ego's the enemy, man. Yeah. The ego tells you lies, dude. You know what I mean? You know, you gotta keep an eye on that shit too. When when he won the title against Luke Rockhold, were you happy for him? Or were you like or did you you know, when you think back on like him before when you fought him, did you ever feel like he was going to be that big of a, a star or even winning win the title? I didn't think he was gonna be a world champion. Um I was happy for him mm-hmm. in, in that aspect because th- that's what we all aspire to as as fighters when we step in. You know, this is a guy who never gave up. He fought the who's who. He, you know, he took some serious beatings and he had won some questionable fights, but he had grinded it out for years. And he got to, you know, he got the Holy Grail. He got that fucking, he got that world title. You know, and that's etching history forever. And what can you say to that? You tip your hat to that. Yeah, it's it's incredible what he's accomplished. I feel like he's like you just said. He's the guy that that grinded forever and. And he got the belt, man, and you can't you can't take that away from him. Now, after that fight, you you took on Costas Philippou, and uh, and there were some rumors surrounding that fight about like you were already thinking about retiring. How serious was that? The the rumors? Yeah, they were serious at that time. And like I was telling you, even going into the Bisping fight, I had just had a lot of a lot of um, personal shit that I really had to um, sit down, address, and sort through. You know what I mean? I was getting older, and I was just like, this takes a lot of time, a lot of energy. You know what I mean? And I don't have that right now. I got to spend a lot of time and energy on other things. You know what I mean? And I was, I was almost 40. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I was just like, fuck, what am I doing? <laughs> These guys coming up are freaking 20 years old. Like I tell you, they don't know. It. They've known this their whole lives. You know what I mean? They're looking at a dude like me, like, fuck, yeah, I'll kick his ass fucking for my... Whatever it is, first fight, second fight. Excuse me. Uh, so I was just like, nah, I'm all set. I don't want to get hurt. You know, being chum to these sharks. You know, you fought Costas Philippou and then you returned. And, and actually, you know, before your last fight, you told everybody, you know, I'm going to retire after this fight. Was was there a part of you where you needed to go out on a win, do you feel? Nah, because there's yeah. nothing guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Well, I was guaranteed that I was going to beat the next guy. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know who, you know what I mean? I wasn't. Every single time, you, dude, how many times have you watched these fights where you're like, this is going to be, and sometimes it is exactly what you expect. He's going to whoop his ass. But sometimes you go in and you see a friggin' Kevin Randleman, rest in peace, knock out Mirko Krokop. Everyone's thinking, yeah, Mirko's boom, Kevin fucking lays him yeah. out. <laughs> <laughs> Within a minute. Come on, yeah. man, this is the game. When you when you see guys now, you know that are kind of sticking around a little too long. Like, what, what do you think drives them to stick around so long? I don't. 
I don't I don't think about it at all, to be honest with you. I I I, I think about my decisions and where they've brought me and the decisions I have and where they're gonna bring me. And I'm not that's not my business. You know, I'm a fan as and as a fan, I watch them fight, I watch them win, I watch them lose, yay, yay, or boo boo, whatever it may be. You know what I mean? But I, I'm not I don't know that man's personal, you know, business, what he psychologically, financially, mentally, whatever it may be. I don't know what drives him, so I'm not going to sit here from my point of view and judge him. I'm all set with that. Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with you on that. I feel like you should never tell a fighter that he needs to retire. I never say a fighter should retire. If you want to fight, you can fight. You know what I mean? Like, that's your choice. It's your livelihood. It's, it's your life. Country. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's, you know, that's why I don't like fans or, you know, I guess critics or pundits or whatever they're, you know, calling for fighters to retire because a lot of times it's, it's premature. Now, you know, when you look back right now, there's USADA in the UFC, right? They're they're trying to bust everybody and, and catch people that are cheating. When you were fighting, I wanted to get your thoughts on the whole uh, the whole use of performance enhancing drugs you know what i mean like do you feel like it was something that was rampant at that time or was it something that you know you weren't really privy of and you didn't honestly the whole, the whole thing is it wasn't something that i was doing you look mm -hmm. at my body my frame my build mm -hmm. you can obviously tell i'm not doing that shit yeah, yeah. yeah i mean i'm slim i'm lean it's lean muscle and i'm not ripped i'm not freaking going 1000 miles per hour 15 minutes mm -hmm. i'm not on none of this shit you know i was ignorant to it I didn't know who was on, who was who wasn't on it. I knew some of these bigger guys were on it because it was just you don't develop that kind of human muscle and growth and all that other shit, right? You know, you, it's just fucking not what we do. You know what I mean? So when I look at guys that are developed in a way that is disproportionate to everything else, it's like, yeah, you know. But it wasn't something that I don't know. For me personally, not until I was getting ready to retire, it wasn't something that I really ever thought about. Oh, really? So even when you were going against certain fighters that's something that no one ever like mentioned to you or anything like that i didn't think about it mm -hmm. i don't even give a fuck to be honest you. i don't care i didn't do it whatever you know like with fighters and just athletes in general you know that after they retire they they always have the itch man how have you kept yourself away from returning or coming back i sold the business that i had in massachusetts i came to florida my first couple of years in Florida were kind of tough. Mm -hmm. I got a good job right now. I'm making good money, and life is good, dude. You know what I mean? And I don't need to be freaking getting smacked around. My ego, I don't have that. I don't have the drive to compete like that anymore, to fight anymore. I just I just want to be able to provide for my family. You know, and that drives me more than just the, the selfish, you know, the ego. Look at me, watch me fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm cool with that. I got a bunch of other things I've had to do. It, it's hard. Is it hard to let go, you know what I mean, of that ego, of, you know, of chasing that thrill? Um, every individual is different. It's all nature and nurture. You know? That's how I would answer that. You know, what have been the lasting effects from fighting? What have they been for you? You know what I mean? Like physically, maybe mentally? I don't know. Like what, what have been some effects you felt? I haven't really felt much. Mm. You know, I, I've suffered, you know, um, maybe a half a dozen to a dozen concussions. Mm. 
I, I suffered a broken jaw, a broken arm, broken a couple broken hands. Physically leaving it now, especially living in warm weather, the only thing I really feel is my left shoulder, my 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 EC joints a little off. Um, but other than that, man, I, you know, knowing what I know now, I'd go back and do it all over again. <laughs> you know what I mean? Those years were the most fun years of my life. You know I mean, I got to see a lot of the world. I got to meet a lot of people. I got to. I was in Korea, man. Annyeonghaseyo. Annyeonghaseyo, yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Impressive. I was in Korea. You know what I mean? I when got was to go that? There. That was in 09. Okay. You know what I mean? So. Itaewon. All right, all right. You know what's up, Itaewon. Yeah. yeah. I went to Itaewon. I went to Pusan. I went to a couple of different places. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I went to Seoul. Got to check out Seoul. You know, beautiful, huge city, man. I liked it. Good time. You know, you started your career, professional career, kind of late compared to, like, let's say guys nowadays. Uh, you know, they're starting. Dude, I'm teenagers. trying to tell you, man. I'm trying to tell you. I'm trying to tell you. I got started when I was 25. Yeah. You mean I walked into a dojo? I got my ass kicked. The guy was like, you sure you want to do this? I was like, yeah, I want to do this. He put it on me. He whipped my ass. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Then he had me do a bunch of calisthenics. I threw up all over the place. He's like, you still want to do this? I was like, yeah. He was like, come back tomorrow. And we ended up doing it for a year and a half. I left him. I went somewhere else. And boom, 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 one thing to another. I met Keith Raquel from Keith Raquel. I ended up going to Mark DeLaGrati, to Tim Burrell, to, Tim, to Peter Welch. I'm just, and all the people that are in between in these groups. It's just like one huge family, man. It was just awesome. It almost does, Do you ever think about or, or wonder if like the path you would have taken if you would have started your career, let's say, at 19 years old, you know? Like, how differently it would have went? Dude, honestly, man, that's just fucking blah. That just becomes a bunch of fucking bullshit. You know what I mean? Imaginary bullshit, because it's like, if I could have done this, dude, if I would have done that, yeah. Fuck out of here, man. This is what happened. This is <laughs> the reality of the situation. Let's roll with this. This would have happened no matter what. If you would have ran into it at two years old, this would have been what you would have done. You know what I mean? So I'm cool with it. With with being in fighting, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm sure that there has been some, like, awkward or intense run-ins with with fighters or you know stuff like that in in the past has there been like weird moments throughout your career in the ufc where you ran into fighters or coaches where maybe they you know you might have had some kind of or they might have took offense to something that you said or you did no man the only one was was bisping you know the first time i ran into him was on the streets of sydney and i was just like hey hey that is you that is you Fuck off, fuck off, and just keep walking. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's what it was, basically. And even, he was with like three or four of his boys, I was with one guy, and I was just walking over, we were just laughing, we were just like, that shit just happened, you know? <laughs> that shit just happened. <laughs> but I guess that's kind of cool that he didn't want to fight you in the street, right? That he was professional enough to... get paid to fight. Yeah. We get paid to fight. You know what I mean? That's what we do, we get paid to fight. The fuck am I gonna fight you in the street for for fucking free? One of us could end up getting fucking hurt. Nothing fuck comes of it. The fuck are we doing this for? I mean, fuck out of here. You can't wait a week. Just fucking dumb. Being a fighter, are there people that try to test you when you were when you were actually active? It doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, it comes down to like just being mentally there. It's like, who gives a fuck? You know, I'm here for one simple job. I fight on Saturday. I get paid X amount of dollars. If I win, I get paid X amount of dollars more. 
You get what I'm saying? She was like, the fuck am I allowing anybody to get in my fucking psychological way? I mean, none of this nonsense. The fuck? I mean, for a simple, I'm, it's a job. Right? It's a fucking job. I, I'm, I'm showing up to get paid. Not just get paid, but to win and fucking make more money. I'm interested in seeing how this whole Venom thing goes as their new sponsor for their oh, yeah. for their athletes. I wonder, I'm interested in seeing how this pay breakdown is going to go. I don't see Venom being as as well known as Reebok. And it's also going to show the UFC's hand towards their fighters and how they treat their fighters. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. What did you? I I feel like this is my personal opinion. I feel like the fighters should be able to go back to that old model where they can find their own sponsors and have as many sponsors as they is it, want. Is it is it is it like that for boxing? I feel like it is like that for boxing. Okay, so then why isn't it like that for these guys? They're being ten ninety nine. They're subcontracted. Why yeah. are they being told who can give them their sponsor and why are they controlling that? Why Those so much control questions. over your fighters? Those are great questions. Like that's the questions I wanna I wanna know. If you wanna make a fighter a subcontractor, why don't you allow them to do subcontract? You know, do things that subcontractors can do is which is bringing your own sponsors and be able to make more money. You know, what I mean, if you're not gonna pay them the the money that they they, they deserve by now, you know, what I mean, this thing has been grown well, into they're, they're a monster, right? It's a free market, right? Yeah, it's a free market, right? Then why aren't you letting them make the money that they're requesting them? That makes no sense to me. Right, you're saying, oh, we don't stop them. We're not asking anybody to take fights. This is the shit that they're saying. There you are. If all these guys would have fucking stopped right now, you wouldn't have a fucking show. You have a well-run show because you've developed it over the time. But if these guys would have smartened up and be like, you know what, fuck that. We need to get paid. We need to have certain regulations that would take care of us. In the event that XYZ happened, we're taken care of. But they're not doing it. And until that happens, it's just going to continue to be the same shit that you've seen since the inception of it all. <laughs> Yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, it's like, I don't know what the fighters can do because it doesn't seem like they're on board with each other, you know what I mean? Like, they're, everybody yeah, has a different opinion. Part. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's the difficult part. Good luck with that. And at, the end of the day, and at the end of the day, we're all in it for ourselves. And that's what the man wants. The man's like, as long as they can't get it together, we don't have to worry about it. What do you think about, um, like, John Jones, man, him sitting out and saying like if i don't get paid what i want i'm not gonna fight anymore is that something that you know you could get behind i'm a fan of john jones whatever john jones says i'm with you john no problem <laughs> would he be a good leader you know what i mean to kind of push for uh, do you think a union is something that that will you know uh, help with with uh fighter pay and all that stuff or is that even we possible need, yeah we need something and i'm not saying a union or whatever but it's a lot of shit right now. It's just like, this doesn't make any sense. You know what I mean? When you look at the pay breakdown compared to the gate and everything else, and this has been going on for years, dude, for 20 years, though. It's like, come on, man. I feel like you should be able to retire. Let's say, you know, like yourself, you had 15 fights in the UFC. I feel like if you had 15 fights in the UFC, you should be able to retire comfortably. You know what I mean? Afterwards, you don't have to, you know, you could, you could have a home. You know what I mean? Like, you should be able to live. Without too much that, worry, that, right? That would be nice. That would be nice, huh? <laughs> yeah, it, that's what I'm saying. Like for the future, you know. What I mean, I feel like that should be something that yeah, could dude. be there. You know? Yeah, dude. Yeah, dude. I hear you. I think you're fucking right. I think you can make it. You know who's gonna drive this kind of shit? Are the fans. The fans are sooner or later gonna fucking grow older, and they're gonna see these guys that they cared for, and they're gonna be like, "Why is this guy fucking living like this?" And this shit. Mm -hmm. 
why didn't he make this and that and the other? And you're gonna be looking at the fucking guys that were just putting this shit together. And you're like, this shit ain't right. But but there's the fans, man. You know about the fans, like the fans yeah. are. It's not necessarily the fans. It's just, it's the culture and the society. Mm-hmm. Everyone's in this immediate gratification bullshit, mm-hmm. and nobody sees the fucking the value in and in. And investing into your crops and watching them fucking grow, and you reap what you sow. And and you know also with the Venom deal, you know Reebok is a much bigger company, I believe. You know from what I see, than Venom, right? In in the world of sports, and they probably have more money. And and I wonder, I you know, they said that they're going to give more money to the fighters. Venom will. I don't really, how? I don't understand how that's going to happen because Venom is not that big of a company. You know, I love Venom, but come on. Maybe we're wrong. Maybe Reebok set a nosedive. Oh. The hell do we know? You know, are you watching the market? Do you follow Reebok's stock? How are they comparing to Nike, Converse, Puma, Adidas, New Balance, friggin' what each other ones, friggin' A6, all these other brands. How are they comparing to these other brands? How's do you do you see anybody running around saying, hey, these Reeboks are awesome? When was the last time you saw a pair of Reeboks on someone's feet? At a UFC. <laughs> Some quarter man? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You're right, you you're right. You post some good yep. questions right there, you know? You do post some yeah, good questions. Was, when was the last time you saw somebody rocking Reebok here? Mm. You don't. Yeah. You don't see their sneakers around. You don't see none of that shit. I don't. Yeah, maybe that's why uh, the UFC's jumping ship and, and going with Venom. Well, maybe I mean? that's why they're jumping, jumping ship. You don't know who's oh. saying that anymore. That's true. That's true. Like, and also, you never know what kind of deal Venom has with the UFC. You know what I mean? I'm pretty you sure the UFC is taking a good deal if they're leaving Reebok. You don't know. Yeah. You're that's assuming right now. Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely assuming. You know what I mean? But that's all we got. You know what I mean? Because there's no information on on this that's deal. Assuming, that's assuming that the world markets are doing great and all these companies are making money. Mm-hmm. Mm, with this whole COVID shit, mm, this whole fight island, just fucking just to throw out there and be like, hey, we got guys fighting. Coaches are coming sick. Fighters are coming down sick. Don't worry about it. We got plenty of fucking guys happening. Don't worry about it. It doesn't take away from what's going on in the world right now. You know what I mean? It's fucking, I don't know, man. I don't see I don't see any money being made right now. Not until this whole fucking shit comes down. I just don't see it. Where do you, where do you see the sport in like 10 years or so do you feel like that that the sport will be accepted you don't i I think in due time it'll be no more no less than boxing Mm -hmm. a combat sport that can be manipulated by money anything can be manipulated by money Mm -hmm. what makes you think this won't be Mm -hmm. you know i mean when wait till you fucking hear the first story of a guy you think is awesome and you idolize and he sold off for a couple million dollars Mm -hmm. you're like how could you and he's looking at you like motherfucker have you seen my house (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, $10 million, yeah, man, no problem. Fucking take a dive, watch Vegas go nuts. Mm. It'll happen sooner or later. It's already happened, though. I I think that there was a couple you cases. You think so? Yeah, there was a couple cases out there. Uh, there was actually one in uh, Korea where the guy was supposed to take a dive, but they the UFC figured it out and then went and talked to him before the show, and then he didn't take the dive and then he actually won the fight and now he was in trouble with some gangsters and then he went to jail. 
for uh, turning himself in. So it's a it's a whole cluster, you know, oh, of just nonsense. Jeez, but they dude, dude. they were good at burying the the information though. Like whoever decided to bury it, they did bury it pretty well. Cause the guy wasn't well known. You know what I mean? When you're not a when you're like kind of like a lower tier fighter in the UFC, you know it's not big news, to be honest with you. But if it was like a big star, like if it was Korean say, John Jones or somebody, then it's a different story. You guys got some big fighters coming out of South Korea, man. You got a few of them. You guys got some really good fighters coming out of there. I can see a bunch of you guys being recognized worldwide. Yeah, but the guy that actually did it, he nobody knows who he is. You know, I mean, he caught fought a couple times, but not not like name recognition at all. Um, yeah, man, like uh, so with the COVID and everything like that. So, you, what is your your daily life? Are you just chilling at home? Do you actually go out and work? So, dude, <laughs> I'm glad you asked this question. In the beginning, um, I was more of a hypochondriac. I was really afraid. Not necessarily of me catching it, because my health is fairly decent. I'm not in, I'm not in great shape, but I'm not in bad shape. But my wife is a smoker. You know what I mean? Since we both moved here, we've gained a couple pounds, and she's asthmatic. My biggest fear was catching it, bringing it home, and possibly losing the people that I love, the people closest to me. You know I mean that freaked me out? You know what I mean? Like everything else, especially here in Florida, as time has gone by, everybody gets complacent. You know what I mean? You begin to think that this isn't going to happen and everything is cool. Don't worry about it. And we had 15,000 cases alone this friigging weekend. Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying to you? Like, this shit is very real. And, like, this is the conversation I had with my family. Like, I was, I'm just thinking, we're all going to catch this shit. We're all going to catch it. You can go ahead, continue to do your thing, wear your mask, wash your hands, all that good shit. But eventually, we're all going to catch this shit. Yeah. I feel like that's going to happen and we have to just build an immunity to it because. That's just what it is. Yeah, I agree. You you watch. I think we're all eighty percent of us before a pandemic can be, you know, get rid of a pandemic before a fucking uh, a vaccine or any of that shit. Mm-hmm. Sixty to eighty percent of the population has to catch it. That means fucking eight out of ten, seven out of ten. That's all of us, dude. You know who's not catching it? The motherfucker who's not leaving his house forever. I hear you, dude. I salute you. I can't do it. <laughs> I was exactly like you I was exactly like you in the beginning I was also hypochondriac I just stayed home for a few weeks because my my job was closed so it's just like what can you do you know but it's not just that dude it's like you have this media right the media has you like you you breathe you die you touch it you die we're all gonna fucking die you mean like oh shit did I get enough toilet paper (laughs) (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Dude. like, you, human beings are so fucked up. It's like, of all the shit you just finished hearing, your biggest worry is, did I get enough toilet paper? <laughs> it's yeah. like... It just shows you, my, you know, the intelligence level of a lot of the people in society. But no, it just tells you, it's like, what the fuck? You know, of everything you just finished hearing, the thing that concerned you the most was you might have to wipe your ass with your hands. <laughs> They're not even worried about food. <laughs> How are you supposed to take a shit? You don't got food, you know, but you got toilet paper. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? Dude? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, I was, I, I, I am, I study the news. I watch the news a lot. Um, 
I watch a lot of like I'm more towards the center right. You know what I mean when it comes to politics, mm-hmm. and then when I started watching this stuff, and I was just like, "This is like in I would say early February." I grabbed my family and I was like, "You're gonna see in two months this shit's gonna be over here. We're all gonna be scared. We have to go to the store and start stocking up on canned goods." Dude, I, I'm not even exaggerating. You, I bought enough canned goods to probably last me two years. Yeah, I bullshit you not. In the beginning, I was like, "Fuck it, let it come down." We use the microwave oven. We're in South Florida. We'll just fucking throw it on the roof. Let it cook in the sun. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's not a bad idea, to be honest with you. Like, you know, this is what I was thinking. I was like, "Fuck it, we'll survive a couple months like this." You know, I got a canal. You can't see my backyard, but that's my backyard back there. I got a canal back there. I was like, "Fuck it," you know. We use the canal to fucking for the toilets and whatever the fuck else we need to use it for. I was going into fucking, I was bare. <laughs> I was naked and afraid suddenly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, you have, you know, like people that live in Florida, a lot of people have canals in their backyard. You know, any, any like animals creeping up? Like, did you have uh, to dude, kill any gators, alligators? We got gators back there. We got mm-hmm. gators. We got these big ass friggin' fish. That have like a gator. I forgot what the fuck they're called, man. But they have like like this long snout, and it has like a like gator teeth, and they're big fuckers, man. They grow like two or three feet big. Like holy shit, man. <laughs> and those suckers are in my canal right back there. Can you eat them? Can you catch those and eat them? I, I have no desire to eat any of that shit. <laughs> if I was starving right now, yeah, I'd fucking, I'd be fucking. There'd be a flame going. I'd be talking all sorts of shit to you about how I cut them up and skill them and all that other shit. But nah, I have no desire for that shit. If you getting the gator rotisserie going on, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm cool, man. I'm cool. I'm all set. We have a bunch of iguanas back here, too. Plus, I shoot a bow. You know, I love shooting a bow. And I have really good aim on my bow. So that's what I was thinking to myself. I was like, if worse came to worse, I'd shoot all the fucking ducks in the canals, gators, iguanas, whatever. We're all eating. You know what I mean? The neighbors <laughs> will be happy. <laughs> we don't have to worry about you. Yeah, man, duck for everybody. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jorge, uh, man, thank you so much, man, for the time, man. It was good uh, going through some of the your career and, and getting your thoughts and, and, and some insight into what you've been through. And, and it's good to see what you're doing right now, man, because I feel like a lot of people haven't heard from you in a while, and, and I didn't even know that you were in Florida. Uh, that's, that's Life is good that... right now, man. I'm not, I'm not complaining. I appreciate you having me on your show. Thank you. Um, I'm not, I'm very grateful for what I have right now. I've been working through this whole COVID thing. I've been doing well. I've been blessed. I'm just, man, I got nothing negative. I'm very positive. I'm very happy with everything in life. And I appreciate you calling me and having me on your show, man. Thank you.